Welcome to the Evolutionary Androgen Podcast. I'm Charlotte Alea, and I am on a quest for the stories that reveal to us our evolutionary potential. I search folklore throughout time and from around the globe that hold the keys to transform humanity's current crisis, from fractured and separated to whole and healed. As we unify feminine with masculine, a new version of us is emerging. The truth that a lot of folks don't know at the outset of a spiritual journey is that living a soul-led life is, for the most part, a prolonged process of letting go. I certainly didn't know this. I thought the spiritual was going to be all beauty and love and light. And there is certainly beauty and love and light. But then one inevitably discovers that spiritual expansion involves shedding what no longer serves you. And let me tell you, there are a lot of layers to shed. Think about all the ways that you were taught to be who you are today, through your parents and family, your peers, the culture and society at large. Don Miguel Ruiz, in the well-known Toltec wisdom book, The Four Agreements, refers to this as domestication. I like to call it indoctrination. So this is the nurture part. And it doesn't end there. There is also the nature part. This is all your ancestral programming. Epigenetics reveals that we actually carry the emotional memories of our ancestors in our DNA. Their traumas become in some way our own trauma. So, To become a true evolutionary human being, we basically are assigned the task to shed all of who we have been taught to be up to this moment in time, from our childhood, adolescence, and into adulthood, all the years we spent in relationships and jobs trying to fit into a societal mold. And then we are tasked to dig deeper into the karmic gifts our ancestors passed on to us. And depending on who came before you, releasing ancestral karma can be quite a task and definitely not one for the faint of heart. I know I am on that journey and will likely be on it for the rest of my life. At minimum, I believe we're all tasked to become conscious of our conditioning and inheritance, to question it and decide whether it belongs with us or not. As we take this next step, or big leap you might say, we enter into the carnelian ray of freedom. Think of every step we take on our evolutionary quest as one ray of a rainbow, Learning to embody freedom at this juncture gives us the power to release ourselves from the baggage we came into this life with and the stuff we have picked up along the way. 
So what does it mean in a spiritual sense to be free? To answer that, let's look out the window upon the culture at large. We live in a patriarchal society that has turned us into hyper-masculinized beings. And even if you consider yourself quite feminine, it remains the same that we have learned to value the masculine as superior. And because of this, it is primarily the masculine aspects of our personalities that we are called to release for the sake of our spiritual evolution. This might actually be the perfect moment to define what is feminine and what is masculine. I don't think we've done that yet, have we? Okay, so if our feminine is our feeling, intuitive nature, our masculine is our more linear, rational, thinking nature. But, you know, let's take it even one more step back. Let's think of our feminine nature as our beingness. Who we are when we are not doing anything. Imagine spaciousness. Picture a portal. The feminine is the wisdom that exists within this stillness and arises out of the stillness. It is our connection to the great oneness and singular consciousness of our universe. You could also say that the feminine is our intuition. A lot of folks have lost touch with this side of themselves, which we aim to shine a light on in the last two episodes of this podcast. Our masculine nature is our active doingness. It is the ego identity we project out into the world. It is our expressive personality side. It is the thoughts we are currently conscious of in this very moment of time. When this aspect of us does not take its cues from our feminine, wisdom, being natures, things get out of whack. We end up with a false personality, a fragile ego, and a destructive masculine nature. This is the crux of our current global crises. Our hyper-masculinized culture has forgotten that it is our feminine natures that are supposed to be in charge. I want to emphasize here that even if you are a wonderful person, not ego-driven, not false or mean or destructive, you still probably have a lot of layers to release. You still have an ego. None of us can escape the indoctrination of a culture steeped in patriarchy for 4,000 years or more. You may actually end up being quite astounded, as I have been over the years, of how many layers you discover within you that need releasing. Many of these ego, personality, and ancestral layers we can only discover over time because they like to remain hidden from us 
in our shadows. You know, that underworld realm we discussed in length in episodes one and two. Our shadow realm is our unconscious. But even from our shadows, these culturalized and inherited parts of us influence who we are and how we feel, how we view the world and those within it, how we treat others, and who we choose to be in relationship with. We end up projecting our beliefs, narratives, and shadows onto the whole world around us, creating our own personal view of reality. To be a true evolutionary, we are tasked to shift our whole perception of reality, to actually choose how we not only perceive the world, but also create our own world. And this is the ultimate expression and definition of freedom. Becoming conscious of how we have created our reality allows us to be free from it. It gives us the power of choice to let it go and create it anew. And so to be free All of what has been hiding in our shadows eventually needs to make itself known to us. Whenever we shed a layer of who we once were, we die an egoic death and we are spiritually reborn. I'm going to repeat that line one more time because it's so important. Whenever we shed a layer of who we once were, we die an egoic death and we are spiritually reborn. The wonderful thing about taking this spiritual journey as an evolutionary androgen at this moment on earth is that we get to die to our former self and be reborn over and over and over again in one human lifetime. We get to live multiple lives in one. This is not something the ancient wisdom keepers had the privilege of doing. In order to let go of who they were, they had to die to their physical body and be reborn in a whole new earth suit. Then go through the slow process of awakening to the presence of their soul and then begin the learning process of their shadows all over again. Isn't it amazing that we don't have to do that anymore? Luckily, we have stories like the following one to help pave the way for our spiritual deaths and rebirths. This is one of my all-time favorites. It is the story of Taliesin. But really, it is the story of Gwion and Cairdwen and the birth of Taliesin and how he became the great Celtic bard he is known to be today. This story originates from a 16th century text titled The Hans Taliesin. It may have been originally written by Taliesin himself, though this is unable to be confirmed since Taliesin was believed to be alive many, many centuries before the dating of any of his work. I've heard the story told many times throughout the years, but for the research of this episode, I referred to the book 
Taliesin, The Last Celtic Shaman by John Matthews. Taliesin is somewhat of a mythic figure, almost certainly Welsh, but no one can confirm when or where exactly he was alive. Taliesin is known throughout the Celtic lands as the greatest bard of all times. Incredibly fanciful and bewildering lyrical works of poetry are accredited to him. He was a keeper and leader of history, an advisor to the kings. He was a shapeshifter, an oracle, and a shaman. He was a time traveler and wise man that sung of being present at pivotal moments throughout history, including when the Celts arrived to the British Isles and the crucifixion of Jesus. And as we shall see in a moment, he understood the mysteries of death and rebirth. I have an invitation for you as you listen to the following story. Take note of what stage in Taliesin's birth story pings for you the most, meaning what resonates, what stands out, what even makes you a bit uncomfortable. There's truth to this that you may want to come back to. Okay, one final note before I get started. I apologize in advance if I mispronounce any Welsh names. I am working on it. Okay, let's begin. Caridwen was a great healer and medicine woman who lived with her husband and two children in the region of Schlenteget. Their eldest was a daughter named Crewi, who was beautiful Quick-witted, with such a loving and joyful disposition, she was loved by all. Unfortunately, their youngest, Morfren, was a son quite the opposite. He was dull and stupid, sullen and ugly. Caridwen worried her son would never make his way in the world, being so hideous. And so she cast about for a way to change him. She resolved to boil a cauldron of inspiration and wisdom, to create a potion to cure her son. To do so, she followed a very strict regimen. There were specific herbs she needed to forage and place into the cauldron at specific days and specific hours. And the cauldron had to be kept boiling for a whole year and one day, until at last just three drops remained. Because Caredwen couldn't supervise the boiling cauldron while she was sleeping or out foraging, she hired an old blind man named Morda to keep the fire lit, and Morda was accompanied by a boy named Guian Bach, who watched over the cauldron and continually stirred the pot. As it happened, on that final day after a year had passed, while Caridwen was doing her last forage for herbs, the cauldron began to spatter. 
three drops flew out of the cauldron and landed upon the thumb of the boy Guion. So great was the heat and pain of the boiling potion that he stuck his thumb into his mouth to suck on it. At once, Guion knew all there was to know about everything. His eyes opened to knowing the answers to the greatest mysteries of the universe. And he also knew in that moment that Caridwen would be furious with him. She would destroy him as soon as she learned that he had just imbibed the great potion that was to heal her son. Guion began to flee. But as he did so, the cauldron let out a great scream and cracked in two. The remaining waters boiling in the pot flowed out of it and into a nearby stream. Caridwen heard the commotion and came running to the cauldron. When she saw what had happened, her anger knew no bounds. She went running now at full speed in pursuit of Guion. Guion, catching wind that Caridwen was onto him and close at his heels, transformed himself into a hare. But she knew what he had done and transformed herself into a great black greyhound. He ran as a hare through the fields and forests until he reached the river's edge and, leaping into the waters, transformed himself into a salmon. She, close behind, transformed herself into an otter and chased him into the river. As Guion swam downstream, he was aware that Caridwen would soon catch up to him, so he leaped out of the water and transformed himself into a wren, flapping his wings and flying away. She, catching wind of this, joined him in flight as she transformed herself into a great hawk. Through the air, the great chase continued until Guion caught eye of a heap of winnowed wheat laying on the floor of a barn. Fearing for his life, he dropped himself into the heap as he turned himself into a tiny grain. But Caridwen followed him into the barn, transforming herself into a black red-crested hen, and thus pecked her way through the heap and swallowed the grain of wheat that was Guion. The grain went into her womb. Her body began to swell. Caridwen carried Guion in her womb for nine months. He grew and grew until at last Caridwen gave birth to him as a brand new baby boy. He was so beautiful and so precious that although Caridwen still despised Guion for what he did, she could not kill him. Instead, Caridwen placed the baby in a leather bag and set him adrift upon the sea. That bag drifted for a long 40 years. One day, a young salmon fisherman named Elfin was out checking his nets and found the leather bag caught upon a pole. 
Elfin pulled the bag from the water and, using his knife, cut a long slit into it. Within the bag, he found a boy with a bright forehead and declared aloud, Behold, a radiant brow! The child within the bag replied, Taliesin it is! And so the child was named, for Taliesin means radiant brow. Elfin took the boy from the bag, placed him upon the saddle of his horse, and rode him home. Along the way, Taliesin composed and sung to Elfin a poem for him, which he titled, The Consolation of Elfin. It is said that this was the first poem Taliesin ever created. Elfin was filled with awe and wonder and asked the child how on earth he came to compose poetry and so skillfully at his young age. At that, Taliesin responded with another poem, which he called Taliesin's Song of His Origins. And with this poem, he told Elfin all that had unfolded in this very story. This is one of those timeless stories in which every single word contains a whole universe of symbolism. Really, we could write a chapter about every line, from why the potion needed to be brewed for a year and a day, to why he drifted for 40 years. But we won't. Instead, let's get to the essential pieces we need from this powerful story of rebirth. And let's begin with the central figure of Caridwen. Caridwen is a powerful Celtic goddess that ushers us through our death and rebirth. It is most helpful to see her not as a human person, but as a cosmic archetypal feminine energy that exists in all of nature. She is the keeper of the cauldron of our rebirth, where all of our shadows and the base materials of our nature are stirred together, creating a potent alchemy that comes together in precise time and alignment to initiate us into our ego death. This is the first of three cauldrons or wombs within the story. This is significant as Caridwen is considered to be a triple goddess, holding all three of the faces of the divine feminine, maiden, mother, and crone. So this first womb, or cauldron as the case may be, could be considered the maiden stage of our transformation when we await in innocence just as Guion did unbeknownst to him, stirring the pot of his own alchemy, about to begin a most epic journey. All of us have an etheric womb, no matter our gender or sex assigned at birth. It is an energetic space located near our sacral chakra. And this is the home to our death, transformation, and rebirth. 
We all in some way contain the power of Caridwen within us. Once we activate this aspect of us that ushers us into and through our death and rebirth, we become the divine feminine archetype of the midwife, the one that ushers us through birth, through ego death, through rebirth, and eventually physical death. Along with the cauldron, Caridwen is also the keeper of the polarity of light and dark. We see this in her two children, Crewi and Morphin. And so we can learn from this that at the outset of our journey of rebirth, our aim is often to improve what we think is wrong with us, our darkness, the parts of ourselves and our lives that we don't like, which live in our shadows. Caridwen says that she wants to change the darkness and make it light. But the reality of what this process actually ends up being within the cauldron slash womb of our transformation is something rather different. What begins as a problem we are trying to resolve regarding the split between our light and dark nature then becomes the actual foundation for our transformation to occur. We need our dark as much as our light because it initiates us into transformation. And in the end, we shall see, after our transformation is complete, all polarities merge and become one. Light and dark dance together in sacred marriage. Okay, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's now turn to Guion, our unknowing spiritual initiate. Guion represents that aspect of our consciousness that is awake enough to know it is ready for something new, but is totally unaware of what really awaits them. He represents our original innocence, the part of us that naively dives into the spiritual journey and just happens to be at the right place at the right time for the great awakening to occur. If you talk to anyone who has experienced a spiritual awakening, it often happens like this. It feels so very random. Like, maybe you sign up for a spiritual class because you think, what the hell, I'm open to new ideas. And two hours later, your mind is blown and torn to pieces and you see all the lies and illusions you have been living up to this moment. Or maybe it is even more random than this. Maybe you are sitting in a laundromat, watching the front-loading washer spin and whirl around with your clothes, and all of a sudden, there is this gigantic angelic being that manifests in front of your vision, and you feel a presence of such great love, your whole identity shatters in that moment. You have no idea who you are anymore, and you wonder if you have just gone crazy. It turns out these types of occurrences aren't actually random at all. Our souls come into these human bodies slash earth suits 
with a blueprint stamped upon us that will awaken certain parts of our consciousness at different moments in our life according to our soul's plan. That's what I believe anyway. And that's what I see the figure of young Guion is aiming to show us. That we don't have to concern ourselves with the pace of our own or someone else's spiritual awakening. The great mystery has it covered. We are always exactly where we need to be all of the time. Guion is awakened when three drops of Caridwen's potion just happens to land on his thumb and he just happens to imbibe it. The cauldron cracks. In modern day language, we might say that his mind is blown. But also, the cauldron cracking reveals to us the breaking of ancestral ties, the shifting of timelines. What has come before is no longer. We are now in the unknown. And this sets off the next great segment of our story, The Shape-Shifting Chase. It is really interesting to note that the shape-shifting of the divine masculine on its journey of death and rebirth is a central and common theme throughout folklore the world over. We saw it in episode 2 in the ancient Sumerian myth of Inanna's descent with her husband Dumuzi, when he was running away from the underworld demons. It is a common theme throughout other Welsh tales too, including those in the Mabinogion. I am thinking in particular of Math, son of Matanwi. When Math transformed his two nephews after finding out they had raped a maiden, first he transforms them into a doe and a stag, and then into a wild boar and a sow, and then into two wolves. All the while, they are shifting from male and female and mating together. Until Math determines the toxic masculine has been bred out of them and their transformation is complete. He turns them back into their human forms. We also see this theme of shape-shifting in a Scottish folktale, The Ballad of Tom Lynn. Another story about death and rebirth, where Tom Lynn is captured by the fairy queen to live as her consort in the underworld, and he must shapeshift into many different forms on his heroic journey back into the human realm before being reborn through the womb of a maiden and his lover. Shapeshifting in all these stories, but especially in our story of Guion and Caridwen, represents our sense of self becoming liquefied and unstable. We are in a highly vulnerable state while undergoing the transformation from an ego-led to a soul-led life. Our whole reality and identity is shifting and changing from one moment to the next. The temporary iterations of who we become in the midst of our spiritual transformation are not the final product of our soul-centered self. And sometimes these temporary iterations are actually a means of escaping ego death. They are a way of protecting ourselves. 
even actually deluding ourselves, at least momentarily. And I say this with levity and compassion. These temporary delusions are quite necessary because it is really hard to exist without an identity. It's like, how do you not have a name? How would it feel to walk down the street with no clothes on? I can remember how this has manifested for me during my own journeys of ego death. It usually occurs as a sudden burst of creativity amidst total confusion, where I will write down, like, my whole life plan. But then I know it is not for real because I have absolutely no motivation and no enthusiasm to pursue this new life plan. It was just a fun temporary idea to lighten my mood and get my mind off the intense and confounding dismantling in progress. I've had many spiritual teachers tell me over the years, after coming through a deep healing experience, don't quit your job, don't move across the country, don't legally change your name. (laughs) These wise elders know when their initiates are still cooking in the cauldron. We may think we know who we are and what is next in the midst of transformation, but really we don't. Just like Guion, in order to complete our transformation, we must come back into seed form and return to the womb for a second time. The great mother's womb, symbolized by Caridwen herself. Here is the seat of our ego's death. In this portion of our story, we learn about the potency of surrender. Absolute, total surrender. Have you ever experienced this type of total letting go? Where you are pushed to such a limit, to such a point of exhaustion or loss that you absolutely have to let go into a power greater than yourself. When the fight for your life is over, where you have no other option than to surrender all you have and all of who you are, where you choose to trust something totally unnameable, invisible, something that only the voice of your soul speaking through your consciousness is telling you is the truth. A letting go so great that you allow yourself to fall and then to be caught within the arms of the benevolent forces of the universe, by love itself. Have you ever experienced this? The fight for your life is over. I'm repeating these words for a reason. It may come as a surprise that the divine masculine archetype under the carnelian ray of freedom is the warrior. The warrior of love. We are radically rewriting and redefining what it means to be a warrior. In a new earth paradigm, a warrior is not a soldier fighting for someone else's cause, fighting for the cause of a culture or nation state. A warrior doesn't even necessarily fight. A warrior of love stands for the liberation of all. And this begins 
As everything does within, the warrior is concerned with doing whatever they need to do to be free. They set fire to all illusion, lies, and falsity, and courageously stand within those fires knowing it cannot harm them. The warrior is awake. Awake to the suffering and imprisonment created through the illusion of culture. Awake to the fact that reality is an illusion. Awake to the fact that eternity is truth. Awake to the fact that we get to create our own reality through our soul's consciousness. We weave our reality together through our beliefs, perspectives, and our words. And this is precisely what is happening as baby Guion surfs the waves of the ocean, the great cauldron of wisdom, for 40 years. The mother turns us over to the third and final womb, the womb of the earth, symbolized in this story as the sea, where we float and churn in that great crone of the world to come into our wisdom. The ocean is the home of all truths, all possibilities. Guion is absorbing the truths of his own existence, the design of his future life. He is weaving together a new reality, a new consciousness to gift the world. At last, the fisherman delivers the leather bag or amniotic sack, you might say, from the great womb of the ocean. The young and innocent Guion Bach is reborn as Taliesin, a bard and poet, a master of weaving together the words that shift reality. The story of Taliesin goes on to tell how, at the first king's court he visits, he seats himself in a dark corner where no one can see him. And just before the feast begins, as the court bards walk by, he takes his finger to his lips and goes, Then, when the king asks each of the bards to speak, all they can each mutter is, At which point, Taliesin makes himself known and claims this trickery as his own. He fancies the royalty with his cunning speech and prophetic words. Taliesin was known, much like Merlin, another famous Celtic bard, to predict the future. What these wise men were actually doing was weaving the past and future together through their words in order to shift cultural consciousness and create new realities. As soul-led human beings reborn through the triple womb of the goddess, Recreated in a new masculine form, balanced and unified in our feminine and masculine, we have the power to do just this, to shift cultural consciousness and create new realities through our visions, our dreams, and our words. For the evolutionary androgen, I believe that this is not just our power but it is our divine assignment. It is why we are here. And so it is also our assignment to allow our journeys of ego death and transformation to proceed as long as they need to. 
and to allow our journeys of ego death to occur as many times as they need to throughout our human lifetime. Now, I'm no expert in this, but I believe and I can sincerely hope that it gets a little bit easier every time we have to die. At least we'll know the markers of what to expect, right? A bright light or dazzling love blows us open. Our ego fights for its life to survive. The ego eventually surrenders and dies. We rest in the sweet darkness of the mother's womb for as long as it takes until we absorb all we need and rise again into the next iteration of our soul's incarnate existence. We are reborn a warrior of love, a beacon of freedom and liberation, a creator and steward of the new earth. Where are you, dear initiate, on your path of death, rebirth, and liberation? What stage of Taliesin's birth story pinged for you the most? I invite you to remind yourself in this moment that wherever you are, you are exactly where you need to be. We will be back in the next episode with a new myth from a different time and a different part of the world as we journey to the golden ray of sovereignty. You have been listening to The Evolutionary Androgen, A Mythic Quest, with me, Charlotte Alea. If you liked this episode, we hope you'll consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for tuning in.